This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to this edition of Computing Prime Time. I am Professor Ravi Ramurthy. I'm a professor at the University of California, San Diego. And I'm the director of the new Center for Visual Computing, one of the first few new research centers which are based on industry funding. The topic of the center is visual computing, and it's a synthesis of many areas in computer graphics, computer vision, uh, digital imaging. I'm joined here by two of my colleagues in the center, Professor Zhuwen Tu, who is primary appointment is in cognitive science, and he has an affiliation in computer science and engineering, which is the home base of the center. And Professor Jürgen Schulze, whose primary appointment is with the Qualcomm Institute within CalIT2 at UC San Diego. And he's been teaching in the computer science department. So we'll start off by defining the name of the center. So Jürgen, what do you think the term visual computing conveys? Visual computing is sort of a, a term that includes various different disciplines that have to do with uh, computer graphics and computer vision. And um, the faculty that's part of the center represents the various parts of, this, of these areas. So, um, for instance, my own research topic is basically virtual reality rendering uh, computer graphics, real-time computer graphics, and that falls under the umbrella of visual computing because um, it's all done on the computer and it's very visual. The visual It's about the visual output. And that's what the algorithms and the programs that we create in my lab are all about. It's about creating visualizations of data that are uh, perhaps accurate um, in terms of the data or perhaps beautiful in terms of the rendering and the visual appearance. But there are also other areas. There's computer vision, in which case you would look at the world around us and parse it, make sense of it, in order to uh, then do something with that information in the computer. And that, that is a spectrum. There are various disciplines that are right in between that spectrum, which, which um, have, are based on both of these notions of these ends of the spectrum. And so, Juven, how would you say within a cognitive science context... Uh, in the human brain, obviously, visual information is important, but how would you think about visual information and visual computing? That's a very good question. So essentially, the definition of visual computing needs uh, redefined. It's different from what was 10 years ago, and also it's different from what it was five years ago. So for visual computing, essentially, the idea of be, being able to produce a machine that sees was mostly originated from people in computational neuroscience, where they study basic layers of neuron structures and try to build a neurally inspired system that is able to see. But I think the first generation of idea essentially didn't fly because at the time we didn't have the equivalent computational Mechanism. We don't have sophisticated models. We don't have data. We don't have applications. Visual computing, this whole field has been exploding, especially during the last two or three years, because of the data, because of computing power GPUs, because of 
advanced machine learning technologies or uh, neurally inspired system like deep learning. So the whole visual computing has a very different definition nowadays versus even five years ago. So this is a really exciting moment. When I talk about computer vision, and this has been a goal of computer vision for a long time, uh, is essentially to create machines that can see. And this means many things. So one is simply that they can reconstruct the world around us in three dimensions. And in fact, we're seeing a revolution now with a whole range of new cameras, depth cameras, uh, sensors like Microsoft's Kinect uh, or Intel's RealSense, light field cameras such as the Lytro camera that can actually produce three-dimensional reconstructions of the world. But that's a very physical view of mapping out the space. Uh, Then there's also a question of can we see the world and really interpret it? Can a computer looking at the world say, here are three people in the visual computing center having a conversation? And uh, is that an area that has now computer vision can get to the point of solving this recognition or this artificial intelligence problem? And how does it correspond to the cognitive abilities of the human brain? Yeah, I think that's another excellent question. I still wouldn't think that we are able to produce a machine that completely replicates human capability yet. We're still far from that, but we're much more hopeful. So, so Back to your question, I think um, given uh, advanced sensors being developed, I think in terms of visual computing, it goes beyond just about designing computers that see. And also we're connected with speech recognition or understanding, we're connected with underlying cognition models, we're uh, connected with situation awareness, so it's not just about building a, or correspond, uh, understanding a corresponding 3D world anymore. We also are connected with speech, language, action, and intention. So for this kind of status of computer vision, I think a recent couple of years have been really driven, guided by deep learning or convolutional neural network in particular. We are we're actually seeing or witnessing that we're making progress close to human performance to a certain degree. That still needs comprehensive cognitive study, but for some particular task, we are indeed able to produce some fascinating results, fast, accurate, in terms of detecting a particular object segmentation and detection like that. So, so this is indeed a very exciting moment. I wouldn't imagine when I was a graduate student we would be at this stage 10 years ago thinking about what we can do now. So can you give some examples of the things that computer vision systems are today able to do? For example, could they look at this conversation and A, identify the people in the scene B, could they interpret the nature of the scene, that this is people sitting around the table having the conversation? Could they identify the various objects around the table? Could they understand the semantics of that this is a discussion? Which of these aspects can computer vision systems do today? So under under visual computing, graphics, virtual reality, computer vision, 
cognition, perception, they are under this big umbrella of visual computing. But under this, I think uh, computer vision and graphics, they are still normally considered as two different fields. So when I was a graduate student, my advisor told me we kind of a little bit envy people in computer graphics because in computer graphics, there was industry. Gaming is a, is a particular one, and filming. Where for computer vision, we didn't have any industry, almost none. And later on, Paul Viola and, and Michael Jones, they have this famous uh, face detection. That was literally the first computer vision system that can be put into a commodity product. So then, Such as cameras. As, I've, I've seen cameras that you, when you look through the camera, it, it'll recognize the people in it in real time if you have programmed them in, and you can see the label next to the face, and I, I find that fascinating. Yes, yes. So, so essentially, people would say that Viola Jones saved the computer vision field. And then, later on, we start to see Microsoft Kinect. That's another successful vision application that is close to ordinary people's life. It's not like a DARPA project. But nowadays, what we can see, like, um, like Jurgen is saying, for instance, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's this very kind of um, suddenly famous website created by Microsoft, howold.com, so everybody can upload his or her photos, and face can be automatically recognized, and the computers will put age together with gender recognized on top of a particular person's face was a fun. So it's not 100% accurate, but people love it. And then various systems, like understand the scene, ImageNet, uh, mostly uh, pushed by Professor Fei-Fei Li at Stanford, was trying to encourage people to build all kinds of systems to recognize or classify about 1,000 categories of objects from one million images. There are about one million images, 100,000 test images. So large categories. And we see for another kind of trend recently doing, let's say, image captioning. People can provide almost very precise caption describing a particular context about image, which is kind of complicated. And we see various of applications. Let's say some company in China, they are building realistic face recognition system for accessing the bank accounts. Still, this is in the preliminary stage, but very hopeful. So we see a whole, whole array of various applications almost into every corner of our life, in particular with mobile, capa mobile computing capability. People can use their cameras, cell phone, take photos, and do all kind of a search on Yahoo, uh, Amazon. Now, I want to add to that that the, the, the cell phone is really the, the, the one device that, that completely changed computer vision and computer graphics in a way that it is now accessible. Um, and that's the entire spectrum between the two uh, to pretty much everyone. And, um, and you can do amazing things with that. You can take pictures of people. You upload them to your, to your Facebook page. That will automatically tag people's faces, and then you can even search through your pictures for a certain person, and you'll be able to find them. And, um, and the cell phone is actually a good example for a system that does visual computing. It has a camera built in, which captures the world. It does some processing on that. Maybe it labels the people in the scene, and maybe even other things. 
sometimes there are other functions. It can, it can change the brightness, the color. You can do Instagram-type effects on the image. And then the cell phone also displays the image and shows it to you right away um, the way that it was captured. So there's also that display component. There's a user interface. You can touch the screen and interact with the image and zoom in, maybe cut it to size. Um, and those are all exactly those aspects that, that we cover here at the, at the Visual Computing Center. That's an excellent point. And in fact, one of the themes of the Center for Visual Computing is to focus on mobile visual computing. And that doesn't need to be limited to just cell phone imagery. Many of the digital imaging technologies, new types of digital cameras, uh, sensors that can sense depth, that can sense the entire light field, that's the different directions of light coming into a pixel. Uh, these are all things that, while they may be handheld at the moment, there is a lot of work on putting them into mobile devices. And they are, in many ways, completely revolutionizing the way we think about an image. Uh, that's one of the long-term uh, goals to think about, that today we have a fairly standard conception of what an image is. It's a 2D grid of pixels, uh, which are individual points in the image. And we have ways to acquire them with a digital camera. We can edit and manipulate them with tools such as Photoshop. Adobe is one of the sponsors of the center. And we can perhaps print them out or display them on a scene. But do you think that five or 10 years from now, will images still be 2D? Or will we actually have three-dimensional imagery just routinely captured on your cell phone? And will we be able to view worlds in an immersive way instead of just looking at a flat photograph to actually have an immersive experience of viewing the world? And so, Jürgen, from a virtual reality context, what's your opinion yeah. on that? So, um, so I've been fascinated by how fast the virtual reality technology, especially the, that geared towards the consumer market, has been developing over just the last uh, couple of years, really. And... Um, and that has all been driven by the cell phone technology again, because now it's possible to have a very powerful computer that you can fit inside of a head-mounted display. Those are those ski goggles that you put on in order to do virtual reality with a head-mounted display, um, such as the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive and all that. The cell phone technology is what's enabling virtual reality to really get into people's living rooms. And we're just at the beginning of a huge revolution of virtual reality that we're, we can observe happening right now there's a huge momentum in this area, and uh, in various industries, um, the most, the biggest one probably now is the gaming industry, are are betting on this technology and they're 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 hoping and making it a success. Um, now, what this means for us is that now we have the unprecedented case that we can actually use this technology, very high quality technology, uh, not only in one instance in our lab, but we can make it available to our students. We can have many students work on this technology in parallel, and they can each uh, implement ideas that they have, that they, things they want to do in virtual reality, and um, they can test them out on their own devices. Uh, many of my students that I teach, they already have head-mounted displays at home, and they want to learn how to, how to make virtual worlds for them, and that's, that's part of what I teach. And, uh, and making virtual worlds and interacting with these virtual worlds is a, is a fairly new topic, which um, at least at the level of, of many people implementing their own, what they think, their own uh, ideas for these devices. And, and I'm very fascinated by that. Now, 
what, um, what we, uh, when we look at these virtual worlds, what we should also look at is where this can go in conjunction with capturing the real, the real world. So there's this term of augmented reality, which I view as the next step after virtual reality. Virtual reality is when, when your head-mounted display shows you a computer world, but nothing else. It's a closed display, and you, all you see is a computer world. Augmented reality is when you can also see the real world around you. There are already products out there, such as the Microsoft HoloLens, um, that, can, that can do this to a certain degree. And those are only getting better. And, and they may not quite be good enough to be a huge blockbuster today, and there's, there's content missing, but tomorrow, that is going to be a blockbuster. What we need as soon as we go into the augmented reality world is we, we all have to fuse the real world, what, what we see, what the device sees around us, just like a camera sees the world around us. We're going to have to mix that with computer imagery so that we can augment the real world and have things in, our, in, in the world that we see that are computer-generated, that are overlaid onto the real world. Much like watching, watching a movie that has special effects in it, you can't even tell anymore today which parts of a movie are special effects and which parts are real. Um, we're going to someday put on these devices which are going to make us believe that everything is real and it'll look real, but some parts of what we see are going to be computer-generated. And that could be as simple as, as driving directions. So now you have your GPS and it talks to you and says, turn right. But what you could do is you could have a red line embedded into the street that's exactly the line that you're supposed to drive along. That's your path. But it looks like it's there. It's, it's, it's painted onto the road. And that could even show you which lane you should be in, and it could show you where, where you have to turn, where you have to pay attention to, to signs and other things. But it looked like the world is designed for you. Somebody else who looks through their own augmented reality goggles would see different lines for their path or no lines. Um, so you could... You could we could do things very personalized. You could sort of personalize the world. And, um, and that, that brings with it a, a, a huge variety of challenges, which range from the capturing of the environment and the proper processing, and then ideas for how you even visualize the information that you want overlaid onto the real world to the display of that to the user. And this is, this is the spectrum that we're, that we're interested in, uh, part of the spectrum that we want to tackle in this with the center. Yeah, and in fact, that is another theme of the center to firstly bring uh, use computer graphics technologies to create what has been a long-standing goal in computer graphics, which is photorealism. And this is a combination of two words, uh, photograph and realism. And so it's been a long-standing challenge in computer graphics to create realistic images that resemble real photographs and partly as a result of the work that the faculty in the center, my colleague Professor Henrik von Jensen in computer science, myself have done, we have gotten a lot closer to this. As uh, Jürgen mentioned, very often in movies today, you can't distinguish what is real, what is virtual, what is a combination of both. But increasingly, we want to put it into the real-time domain. So can we create interactive digital reality? Can you, in real time, create an environment that looks completely realistic. And obviously one application is in the gaming scenario, but this is also relevant in applications like simulation. You want to do rescue, you want to do training, you want to do this in the virtual world. And can we combine them? Can you have completely realistic augmented reality systems where you fuse real and virtual worlds seamlessly? And this is one of the problems and the challenges that we are investigating all aspects of in the Center for Visual Computing.
So, Ravi, so what do you think how the center is aligned with, let's say, Contextual Robotics Initiative uh, centered at UCSD and also various uh, kind of design, HCI aspects? Yes, so, uh, so clearly uh, UCSD is starting a number of new initiatives, uh, the center being one of them. Uh, one of the initiatives is an institute for contextual robotics, which is robots are again something that is a technology that's exploding and perhaps in the next five to ten years we will have household robots. And we want these robots again to respond to their context and act according to their stimuli. Now this is something that connects very closely with work in computer vision. If I want to pick up this cup, for example, um, I I do this without thinking. I mean, it's just a routine action. But for a robot to do that, they first need to understand and perceive their scene. And this involves problems like this cup has very complex reflections from the lights in it. They need to be able to understand and interpret all this imagery in computer graphics and vision. We refer to that as non-Lambertian reflectance. So Lambert in the 18th century coined this law of reflection from matte or diffuse surfaces, essentially saying they reflect light equally in all directions. And this has become a very popular approximation across computer graphics and vision, but clearly objects like this cup don't satisfy it. So you need to be able to model the physical world and interpret what's going on here. Then you need to be able to design the types of motions that would actually pick this cup up would actually be able to manipulate it, uh, take it, and uh, bring it to the user. And the context is important. Can you recognize when the user wants this to happen? So this is something that connects closely with computer vision, and there are many other applications of computer vision. Autonomous driving is one thing that's very important now that you have driverless cars and much of that is enabled by computer vision sensing the environment and being able to respond to it. Uh, you also need to, much of robotics connects to computer animation, that how do you develop the correct animation paths that will enable you to perform certain motion. And of course, much of that, again, today will come from data, and that connects to advances in deep learning and methods that are also used in computer vision. So that's why I see that there's a potential for significant connection with context and with robotics. And, and robotics per se, there's also drones, and drones are robots in many ways. And for computer graphics, you said earlier, Ravi, that uh, we want to be able to take three-dimensional pictures. Maybe in the future we'll always take three-dimensional pictures of everything. So I'm picturing the scenario that I want to take a picture of my house, right? Let's say from the outside. Today I would, I would go on the street, I would take a picture. But then I'm missing the backside of the house. So I'm going to the backyard, I take a picture from there, and now I'm missing the side view, and maybe I can't even get there easily because the neighbor's house is there. So, so it'll, be, it'll be possible very soon to have your own drone, which basically you can already do. You fly your drone around your house, and then you create a 3D model of your house, and then you have this model that you can view with your 3D virtual reality goggles or just on your monitor, and you can see your house from all directions without actually having had to go to all of these places yourself. You have a drone that does the work for you and creates a 3D picture of your house. And that could be your car, that could be somebody else's uh, house or some, some uh, landmark, some, some 
tourist attraction that you would capture that way. And, and that's where I see a huge um, connection between robots and uh, computer vision and computer graphics for the near future even. Yeah, and uh, uh, following up on that point, actually, there has been a recent application of this in the computer science department. So we uh, admit a number of graduate students, PhD students every year, and we try to recruit them to come to UC San Diego. And as one part of that effort, we wanted to give them a memento that's really special. So we have this nice bear sculpture next to the Cal IT2 building, which is where Jürgen Schulze works. Uh, this is the California Institute for Telecommunications and Information Technology, uh, of which the UCSD site is the Qualcomm Institute. Qualcomm is another of our sponsors in the center. And so we wanted to give people uh, a, a replica of this bear. Uh, and of course, 3D printing technology, which is another important technology that has expanded, has now advanced to the point where we can actually 3D print. But in order to do that, you need a three-dimensional model, and it's a very large sculpture. So there is a technique in computer vision known as structure from motion. You take a number of images with cameras moving, uh, or different cameras, and you can reconstruct the 3D shape. But that would only be the outside of the house, which Jürgen mentioned. So what about the top of the bear uh, that you can't reach easily with cameras? And what was actually done was flying a quadcopter, unmanned aerial vehicle, in order to get that data. And then once you have the three-dimensional data, you can, of course, 3D print it and it makes a nice memento. Um, so we are already seeing these things used. Uh, there has also been another work that has, in fact, used unmanned aerial vehicles to position the lighting correctly in a studio environment like this, where if a character or person is moving about, how do you get the lighting on them correctly? And there are some rules in terms of rim lighting and frontal lighting. But you can actually use an unmanned aerial vehicle that responds to feedback to position the lighting correctly. So... We're certainly seeing a number of applications of that. And more generally, computer vision is, of course, relevant to how these vehicles actually navigate and go about their environments. And when it comes to vehicles, we, we briefly um, touched on automobiles um, earlier, too, which is probably one of the, one of the fastest-growing computer vision areas these days where computer vision is really key for this to work. Um, if you're going to have an, a completely autonomous vehicle that travels in, 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 a, in city traffic where all kinds of things can happen, people can jump in front of the car, they, uh, there's pedestrians that you have to look out for, you have to look at uh, bicycle riders and motorcycle riders and cars that, that turn in front of you. And, um, and it's a very, very difficult task for a computer to figure out how to um, maneuver this car through traffic without constantly emergency braking, and, um, but flowing with the traffic just like a human driver would. And maybe even more safely because the computer doesn't get angry at anybody, you know? Um, and there are no emotions involved. The computer can, can drive safely throughout the entire time. There's no, there's no such thing as the computer getting tired. The computer stays awake even on a long drive from here to San Francisco, say. Um, and um, computer vision plays a key role in this in order to make this safe. Um, vision and sensors that are, that are cameras, maybe in different spectra of light. There's, there's radar and um, 
uh, other wavelengths that you could you could exploit uh, infrared uh, to see at night, for instance, that's very helpful. And those systems are already deployed in, in current automobiles that, that allow them to, to do all kinds of things automatically. Um, but the full autonomic uh, drive, autonomous driving is really the holy grail here, and, and Google's showing how it can be done. But um, uh, it's, it's still a, a big challenge to drive a car in city traffic with all these, all these things that can happen that don't happen on the highway where this is currently working really well. Yes, indeed. Yeah, there have been a lot of uh, exciting projects down at Google. They have been pushing uh, a lot of things almost to a limit where we've never had imagined before. In a way, autonomous driving, a lot of Google X projects. So, so I think uh, nowadays, uh, really, this whole field is exploding by really a combination of things. Uh, a lot of efforts from industry, and also a lot of theories from uh, academia. That data, uh, infrastructure, computing, all these things are literally changing our lifestyles in almost a daily basis. So, so that's really exciting moment. So, I mean, switching a little bit to one of the, again, holy grails in computer graphics, one of the things that people have wanted to do for a long time is virtual actors and uh, uh, virtual humans. And in fact, this is something when I was growing up that was in science fiction books or as an interesting part of a story that you would have uh, sort of virtually human, humanoid robot, etc. Without even going into the robotic aspects of it in the, uh, in just on the computer, one of the challenges is can we get in the next five or ten years closer to producing completely realistic virtual human characters. And this includes both the physical appearance, so for example, models of hair, models of skin, models of clothing, models of cloth, the ability to simulate lighting in realistic natural environments and have them interact with all of these models, uh, as well as the ability for these characters to move naturally and perhaps even in a context of a game or similar environment to react to the environment stimuli. And we've been doing a lot of work within the center on realistic models for the way light reflects off surfaces, which is a key aspect in the appearance of faces, of skin, of clothing, and the way clothing deforms. And... uh, I wonder how that also connects to virtual reality applications and virtually and realistic avatars and realistic telepresence. Exactly. So, so telepresence is is a great example. Um, we're sitting here in the same space, and we can see each other, and we have no doubt that that it's it's us. We can recognize us clearly. Now, if we were doing this on Skype, then. Um, for instance, a lot of people use Skype for teleconferencing uh, or maybe Google Hangouts or other things that allow you to talk to other people via video. Normally, all you see is then the other person's face, and it depends on what they point the camera at, um, and you see the face at, at fairly low resolution. And this isn't necessarily because the technology doesn't have the capability of capturing higher resolution imagery. It's mostly limited by the Internet, and it's mostly limited there by the by the internet to the homes. And that bandwidth, um, while it's been increasing, it hasn't been growing very very rapidly over the last few years. And that is a concern for telepresence. 
um, because we want to improve our telepresence systems. A lot of people have relatives that are in a different state, um, maybe in a different country, and they want to talk to them, and they already talk to them on the phone regularly, but they would like to have the experience of being there with them um, rather than just talking to them over the phone. And this is, telepresence is a topic that's been around for a long time, but I can see now that we're getting to the point where with the convergence of virtual reality, of photorealistic rendering, and computer vision, that we're going to be able to capture the other people's appearance in a, and then simplify it for the, for the network so that we don't have to transfer all this detailed data through the network. And then at the other end, that we reconstruct the, the physical appearance of that person at a very, very high quality so that we don't have, uh, we don't doubt that it's, it's the original video. It should look exactly like the original video that way at very high resolution. And that way we should be able to do HD video conferencing, 4K, um, with bandwidths that are much lower than what we would need today in order to actually transport the video over the network. So that is a typical theme for our, for our center because it also, again, it touches on all of these aspects of computer vision, high-quality photorealistic rendering, real-time rendering, and, and some virtual reality way to display the result to the, re- to the recipient, to the participant at the remote end. So Ravi, as, a, as director of the center, so how do you think that various components attached to the center, let's say teaching, teaching graduate students, teaching undergraduate students, or even teaching uh, high, high school students and, and a research connection with the industry? Uh, so what do you think? Right. So, I mean, we, when we think about these centers, we typically think primarily about the research aspects of it and the new technologies that will be invented. But Juven has raised very interesting questions about teaching and uh, uh, interaction with industry. So let me first talk about the interaction with industry. So these, uh, the center, uh, the UC San Diego Center for Visual Computing, is one of a number of centers that are starting out within the engineering school, but also involve interdisciplinary links, in this case with cognitive science and the Qualcomm Institute and virtual reality. And the goal of these centers is that they should be very responsive to problems of current industrial interest. And in fact, they are intended to be created as uh, agile centers in that way that they respond quickly. And uh, their interests intended to be supported by industry. And in fact, we have at this point industrial support from Sony, which is the major sponsor and is interested in a number of uh, problems involving digital imaging, uh, as well as how do you do things like create 3D shape reconstruction of faces in a digital imaging context, and how do you use that to maybe manipulate and new ways of interacting with images. Uh, we've had uh, long-term relationships with Adobe in a number of problems uh, within, again, the imaging space and across computer graphics and vision. Uh, Qualcomm has been interested in some of the applications of virtual reality that Jurgen has been interested in, and augmented reality and mobile visual computing. And we've had interest from Pixar, which is interested in digital reality and how can you create computer graphics and material appearance that will be completely realistic in movies. And uh, we, in fact, have a gantry at UCSD that can measure the reflectance properties of surfaces. And so you're not just coming up with a computer graphics model for skin or a computer graphics model for fur. 
you're actually basing that on the real physical way in which these objects reflect light. And our goal for the center is to deeply engage with industry and to work on problems that are relevant and will have impact in industry. We are certainly looking for additional sponsors, and we believe this general area of visual computing today is something that will really revolutionize the way we live. And there should be a lot of industrial interest across the spectrum. So that's, uh, that's how the center will engage with industry. Uh, of course, teaching is an important part of our mission uh, in the university. And uh, we have some of the best teaching programs at UC San Diego in computer graphics, as well as in computer vision and virtual reality. And beyond that, we're also interested in exploring outreach to the public. So I have an online uh, course on computer graphics, which is the first open online course. And we are planning to offer it uh, uh, as the first UCSD course on the edX platform uh, in, in mid-August. And this is something where we've had really a huge number of people take it. We've had 60,000 people so far registered for it. And my online videos have been watched uh, 300,000 times. And in this way, we are providing a service to the public and educating them about computer graphics. And in fact, fairly diverse public. I mean, the, I just set up the community teaching assistance for the next version of the course. And they come from Australia and Germany and Turkey and uh, Argentina. So... Uh, we're reaching like a broad spectrum of the public, but also for actual practitioners in the field. I've gone to the main conference in the field, SIGGRAPH. I didn't really expect that people who are actively involved in this conference would be interested in taking an introductory graphics course. But there are a lot of people in related areas working on the hardware for graphics processors, working in fields that are related that need to learn this information. And so one of the goals of the center is also to be able to convey our information uh, to the public and to make it available to other universities and other researchers. And, and some, of the, some of the projects that we're working on are actually quite um, close to what the general public might be seeing over the next few years. So, for instance, uh, we got a grant from the National Science Foundation to work on a, on a three-dimensional video camera that would generate panoramic video. And um, this is a topic that's very important when it comes to virtual reality head-mounted displays. People want to be able to, uh, to go out and create content for these, for these displays. They want to be able to go on vacation and shoot video that they, they can, then when they come home, they can watch that with their virtual reality headset. And there currently isn't an easy way to do this. And, um, and there are some uh, inherent uh, issues with algorithms and the, the way that you would process the data that comes in through, even if you have an array of cameras that point in all directions and, and film a 360-degree view of the world, uh, that doesn't mean that it looks spatial, that it looks 3D yet. Um, and while we can do 3D movies, you can see them in the movie theater, they're not panoramic, they're, they're on this one screen in front of you. And it's not trivial to... It's not terribly easy to add more screens to that and just make it spherical so that you can use an Oculus Rift or a head-mounted display of that kind to view your, your, your imagery. And those are, those are topics where we're doing research, we're already doing research, which is going to be 
um, in the hands of the public over the next few years. So this is very applied and goes in the direction of where we, where we do work that has a, sort of an almost imminent impact on uh, society and on, on consumers that are going to you know, want to use this technology. So as opposed to a lot of basic research that's done um, in, in many of the labs here at the university, um, the center is interested in doing research and development that's, that's very close to uh, being ready for, uh, for, for, to, to productize and to um, essentially we want to build prototypes that the industry can then use and build products out, out of. So maybe this would be a good opportunity to also ask in your previous work, what kinds of problems have you worked on that have actually had impact in the public and the industry? Juven, I know you worked on some of the Kinect gesture recognition work with Microsoft, and you could talk about that. Yes, yeah, I was uh, taking two years leave at Microsoft Research Asia, so I was uh, involved in a project to develop gesture recognition system for Kinect Xbox One. So in the end, uh, the project I, I participated in essentially was delivered and become a product component to this uh, Microsoft Kinect Xbox One. So essentially, uh, a Kinect project, I think, came out really as a big, big surprise to the general public. Uh, as I said before, I think uh, most well-known uh, computer vision technologies to general public is really face detection in our digital camera. And gesture recognition or pose recognition has been considered as really a difficult problem. People have been trying to develop systems to do that from traditional R- RGB images. But essentially, uh, PrimeSense uh, has this Kinect sensor that captures 3D depth and then Microsoft Research Cambridge, uh, together with um, a product group at Microsoft, they delivered this uh, gesture recognition for post-recognition. Then, then various uh, divisions at Microsoft, and also probably in collaboration with uh, Academia, uh, essentially uh, made this whole system work. I think uh, it was a, a big success to uh, general computer vision technology. I think uh, after that, uh, there's so many more applications out there attached with our mobile computing capability, and cell phones, smartphones, with so many ap- applications that we either implicitly or we're explicitly aware of. For instance, nowadays it's very easy for us to, to search similar products uh, if we like a particular, let's say, bag or, or clothes, then we can search on, on Amazon. So, so so many uh, applications now out there. I think um, Kinect project certainly sets up a stage. So we're going to see more and more systems like that. And self-autonomous driving was a dream, or pretty much uh, like a science fiction movie, but essentially it turns to be a reality. We're going to see increasingly more and more things like this to, to literally change our life. I think uh, we're not going to have computer systems that replace us. We're going to try to build technologies to help people, for instance, to, to help with uh, visually impaired people in reading texts, in reading texts from natural images. We have been doing this uh, 
for several years in terms of uh, detecting texts in natural things to, to, to read, guide, visually impaired people for various purposes. So, so I imagine vision technologies uh, are going to be increasingly practical, understanding the situation, understanding cluttered background, recognizing various objects almost in real, real time. So, so I think all these dreams are naturally coming true. And, and there are other applications uh, that I, I have a student who's working on uh, his master's thesis, which is on visualizing environmental uh, data, especially air pollution and uh, uh, and the various uh, the sort of the composition of the air, which plays an important role for those who are dealing with asthma or um, or similar diseases. And what we're working on is uh, an application in which we're using virtual reality and augmented reality visualization techniques to display the danger that's in the air around us and around the user um, in a way so that, so that the person can judge whether they want to you know, go down this road, which might go um, get close to the highway where the air pollution is really bad, or it may be a different route in which, um, which goes through a park where the air pollution is less bad and, uh, and they, they're less prone to maybe having you know, an asthma attack or, or at least uh, be bothered by the air quality. So, so these are these are projects which which you know have a direct relationship potentially with uh, with a lot of people out there um, in, in in the near future. And uh, I'm very excited that this technology is is now getting into the hands of that the hardware technology is getting into the hands of the consumer, so that we as researchers can provide solutions that utilize that hardware and uh, that are going to help people, um, many people on the street. Yeah, and uh, for my own part, some of the early work I did in computer graphics and new types of lighting models, one of the challenges in real-time image synthesis is if you have a character lit not by a single light source, but outdoors in the environment where you're getting light from all directions all over the sky, how can you add up those contributions and compute it efficiently? And so techniques we introduced, which are now known as spherical harmonic lighting, enable those kinds of images to be produced at interactive rates or offline that are now very widely used in video games and movies. And pretty much any game you play or movie you see will have some version of this. And my colleague, Professor Jensen, introduced the most popular models for the scattering of light within the surface that gives you the distinctive appearance of skin and some of the uh, most advanced models for skin appearance, which, again, if you see a humanoid character, is likely produced in that way. And so in this way, uh, researchers at the center have not just been doing basic research, but also have had their technologies have significant impact in industry, which has adopted them and, in fact, has changed the way we do things in many ways. And we expect, in general, the Center for Visual Computing and, more broadly, the field of visual computing will come up with technologies over the next five or ten years that will fundamentally change the way we interact with computers and, indeed, the way we live. We can tackle the problem of uh, connecting people from different disciplines to this uh, big umbrella of computer uh, computer vision or visual computing center from various aspects. 
from basic computing capability, then we need large-scale parallel computing, GPUs. And also we need to understand the physics the world in terms of projection lighting that connects directly with computer graphics. Then we also need to have the underlying cognitive models or statistical models that we can utilize to have the representation to perceive and or inf make inference of the world. We have a big need of virtual reality that connects between perception, interaction, and also projection. We also need to have a big component of design, HCI, that allows us to really to design a smooth environment or platform in which we can freely interact. We also need to have a connection with robotics that will connect with physics world to computing capability in terms of perception. We need to have really connection to computational neuroscience disciplines to understand how brain, how human brain use various representation or underlying mechanism to understand the world. So under this umbrella, we see really connections with data, with computing power, with, with human cognition, with graphics, with statistical model machine learning, with virtual reality, with hardware sensors. So, so that's really a, a big theme that allows us to connect almost every aspect together. Yeah, these fields are now much more integrated than they used to be. And to make really fundamental advances, we need to combine advances in computer graphics, computer vision, virtual reality, and even cognitive understanding of the human brain in order to really push things to the next level. And a lot of the applications that we want to, want to help build, such as autonomous driving or um, or better cameras and such things, they encompass the whole spectrum of the skills and of the backgrounds that the, the people that are part of the center have, um, from computer vision to the, uh, the processing of the imagery, to the display of the imagery, and also to the, the, the user who actually needs to use the system and be able to use it where the cognitive component comes in, because if the user doesn't know what to do with it, then it's not going to get used. So, the, um, that's, that's why these things naturally come together. One of us would not be able to make a significant contribution towards something usable in this area because it would only tackle one piece of that spectrum that we need supported. So in closing, I want to say that I want to thank Jürgen and Juven for joining me here in this program. And thanks to everyone for watching. And uh, uh, we hope that We've given you some insight into the field of visual computing. And this is one of the most interesting areas of computer science with applications broadly to the way humans interact with computers and to the way in which humans go about their daily lives. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.